Thanks for joining us for World of Lies. This is Purity for Life. So we have to keep in mind that the subculture has a message and it's based in the Christian message, the true gospel, but it's not really because it has been so watered down and altered over time that it has become something different. Mm. And that's where the deception comes in. Deception surrounds us, coming at us every single day in a multitude of ways. Our series so far has looked at some of the biggest avenues of lies in our world. Big business, entertainment, politics, media, academia, pornography, just to name a few. We are truly living in a world of lies. This shouldn't surprise us because scripture tells us that the last days are characterized by deception on a global scale. But Jesus and the apostles didn't primarily warn us about deception that would come from the world. The main thing they were concerned about was the deception that would assault Christians from inside the church. I think that if those apostles walked among us today, they might say something like, beware of a gospel of lies. Okay, so this is our sixth interview in this series, World of Lies. And in the last two episodes, especially, we looked at why the culture is so deceptive and some of the lies that are coming through academics and big business, the political landscape, mass media, etc. Um, so now let's turn to the church, because Jesus said that you are the light of the world. And so it seems like we as Christians should just simply be able to turn away from the culture and to look within the church to find truth. But your book is warning us that if we're not careful, we might look at the church and just be more deceived. Why do you say that? I just recently did a message called The Kingdom is Within. And as I was preparing that message, I started just reflecting on the way the church has come about. And um, the way I said it in the message was you start with the culture of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, like in the first century, the, that was established with those 120 people seeking God on the day of Pentecost. And out of that came the church, you know, and a lot of different people were added to it. But it was also bringing in people like Ananias and Sapphira, hmm. Demas, you know, Judaizers, later on Gnostics were all being added to it. And so what I said was what has happened in Christianity is that a subculture has grown up around the culture, the kingdom culture. Okay. And that subculture, think of it like Los Angeles is a city and around it is the suburbs. And over time, the suburbs became bigger than the city. Mm -hmm. And that's what's happened with the American church and the church in, around the world is this subculture has become greater than the actual culture. Yes, there are people of God in the American church. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, there are godly people in the church, people who are saved, belong to the Lord. But there are multitudes who really are just kind of they're not really a part of the kingdom. And, and so 
So we have to keep in mind that the subculture has a message, mm. and it's based in the Christian message, the true gospel, but it's not really because it has been so watered down and changed and altered over time that it has become something different. Mm. And that's where the deception comes in at. Mm. Your illustration of a, of suburbs surrounding a city was really suggestive to me because I started thinking about that and how that would work. In the city, you've got people who are fully invested in that community. So they have their own doctors and they have their own grocery stores and they have their own uh, transportation systems. And then you've got people who want some of the benefits of the city but they live outside. So they have to have their own version of all those things. They have to have their own transportation and doctors and grocery stores. And if you if you relate it to the church and its subculture, it seems like that's what you're saying. You have to have your own version of all the Christ, the real Christian things to support this group of people. Well, let's talk about it in relation to citizens of the subculture rather than citizens of the culture. So why aren't they citizens of the actual kingdom of God? It's because they've come in, they've heard the message, they like a lot of what they hear, but they're not really prepared to buy all the way in. Hmm. So really what it boils down to is they don't want to give up their life as they know it. They want to be in control. They want to... Determine what they do in life. And yeah, okay, they, having Jesus as part of their life is a great thing. I don't want to go to hell. And plus, Jesus blesses you and all that. So they, they like that, but they don't go all the way in. Mm. So they are in that subculture. And that subculture has its own advocates and leaders. You know, I mean, they have their own writers and, and preachers and so on who, who cater to that group. Mm. They are, they're catering their message to what do these people want to hear? Well, what those people want to hear is how God wants to bless my life and how I can have mm. my life in this world at the same time. They don't want to hear about sin issues, pride, selfishness, worldliness. They don't want that message, you know. And so they have their own teachers that fit in with that subculture, you know. And it's just like what Paul said it would be in the end times. that people would accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Mm. And that's exactly what we're seeing in the church today. What would you say is one of the biggest deceptions that the, um, the, the subculture is pushing forward through false teachers? Well, let me answer that out of the Sermon on the Mount, which has been called the Magna Carta of the kingdom. So I'll stick with that kingdom metaphor here mm -hmm. for a minute. Um, as Jesus was wrapping up his sermon, bringing it to a conclusion, he gave four vignettes, and the third vignette in verses 21 through 23 of Matthew 7, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will uh, enter my kingdom, but those who do the will of my Father. And these people are, but we've done that. We, we prophesied and we preached and we did miracles and we spoke in tongues. All this outward stuff they mm. did, which all fits right in with the American church. And he says, Depart from me 
for I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. Hmm. And lawlessness is defined in that verse 21, that they did not do the will of his father. Okay, in the subculture, what they have is a list of do's and don'ts that are easily obeyed, you know, mm. kind of the the outward things. Don't fornicate, don't commit adultery, don't drink, don't cuss. You know, just don't do those things. Go to church, pay your tithes. You know, as long as you're doing that, you're in, man. Mm. But Jesus is saying the will of my Father and he, there are something like a thousand different commandments just in the New Testament describing the inward life that we live, you know, the way that we obey the Lord from our heart, the motives and what we do, what's in, what's our, our desires for. And, and, you know, God's perspective is what's going on inside of us. And that's what Jesus is looking at. So this subculture is all about a few outward rules that they can obey and still have their life in this world, which is what mm. they're really living for, and still make it into heaven in their thinking. And Jesus is saying, my kingdom is within, you know, and that was kind of the point of that message. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I would say that that is probably the biggest deception going today is you do not have to obey the Lord, at least not uh, from your heart. As long as you do a few outward things, you're good. I grew up in the in the subculture, so it was very easy for me to just buy into that message because I was doing the part. I was fulfilling what everyone said I needed to fulfill. I never even had a question about my salvation. Now I read the Bible and I'm wondering, how does anyone get from the Bible that obedience is optional? Because it's like everywhere. It's on every page. So we're all reading the same Bible. How are people coming to this conclusion? Let me relate it to first century, the Pharisees. How did they get so fouled up in their thinking that they had the Son of God right in front of them and they could not recognize him? Yeah. How, you know? Let me put it this way. If you go back several hundred years and to a time when the word of God was understood and um, obeyed for what it was. And then what happened were you started having scholars come in with their mental thinking, their logical deductions and their logical reasonings. And they started adding onto the word of God. And that's what has happened since the Reformation is that we have started adding onto the word of God all these different ideas and, and explanations and all that stuff until that has become what people see because that is what is taken in seminary and taught to uh, prospective pastors. And it's really, it's presented as um, systematic theology. If you go back to just go back to what does Jesus say? What does Paul say? And never mind all the explanations. You know, just take um, Matthew 5, 27. You shall not lust, for everyone who lusts after a woman has committed adultery with her in his heart. And then he talks about cutting off 
your right hand, plucking out your right eye because it'd be better to go through life maimed than to end up in hell. Mm. That has been completely just so watered down, you know, and they've got it so explained away. And that is the way the subculture reads the word of God. Mm. It's all going through the lens of all these centuries of of um, scholars who have added all their explanations. Why? Because they're part of the subculture and, and they're seeing it from that perspective instead of someone who's on fire for God, who loves the Lord with all his heart, who lives his life that way and explains the word of God just as it's written. Mm. When you find someone like that, you're close to getting to the what the word of God actually means. Mm. So right now in the church, the visible church, we have essentially this mixing of people who are truly in the kingdom and people who are associated with the kingdom very loosely. And we know that Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back for his bride. As you study the scripture... What what do you believe is going to happen in the days ahead? Do you believe that that all the sorting out of those two groups is just going to happen on Judgment Day? Or is there something that's going to precede that to make a distinction between the two groups? What do you see in Scripture? Well, it would just be conjecture, of course. Uh, I tend to think that people who have... Um, shown some interest in the kingdom, but have never crossed all the way in. I just, knowing the Lord uh, as I know him, how magnanimous his heart is, he's going to give those people, you know, a real opportunity to make a a, a true consecration to him. Hmm. And so something needs to happen to bring that about. Mm. We are seeing a lot of upheaval in the country right now. And I think that that is just a uh, precursor of what's coming, that that is going to be more and more so. And I think that through that, there will be a sifting that will be definite and probably in the form of persecution. Mm. So that is going to separate the true believers from the false, because when it is painful to count yourself as a believer, if you're not the real thing, there's no way you're going to stick with it because there's nothing for the temporal life in that, mm. you know, and only the true believers are going to stick it out. But I believe that in the midst of that, many of those um, mediocre, lukewarm Christians are going to make the right decision. Mm. Not all, but I believe many of them will, before it's over with, give their hearts completely to the Lord. Mm. And that sifting is going to be, I believe it's going to take place on earth before it gets to Judgment Day. Let's wrap up here today. I think that there may be people watching who, after listening to these things, are like, wow, the situation is just incredibly bleak. The culture's lying to us. And then you've got this huge portion of the church that's lying to us. And then you've got the prince of the power of the air who's lying to me. And my sinful heart is open to being deceived. It's like, I can't, I know myself, I can't stack up against all these things. 
Um, if a person is seeing their desperate need for truth, where do they turn? They turn to the Lord, you know, but it, it requires hunger. It requires a sense of desperation inside. I mean, you've got to feel like what you just described. I'm in trouble. The situation is bleak. Where do I turn? Uh, Lord, you've got to make yourself real. There's got to be that sense of urgency inside of you. Um, I always think about one of my best friends, a man named Adam, who is a homicide investigator for uh, a district attorney's office in one of the big cities in America. He actually uh, went through our Overcomers at Home program. The thing about Adam and the reason I respect Adam so much and the reason why he's one of my best friends, not because he's a cop, although that doesn't hurt, <laughs> but because I know what his life looks like. Mm. Every morning, he gets up early, goes down into his basement, and spends at least two hours with God, and he is on his face before the Lord. Now, this is a man who lives out, sees the worst mm. in our culture. I mean, we see little snippets on the news, maybe, he lives in that hmm. eight hours a day, and yet he goes through it above it all, unscathed, hmm. you know, like he, he's so carried by God's grace. Why? Because he's connected into the Lord. Hmm. Our main connection is not sitting in a church building, singing some songs and hearing a sermon. Um, if you if you got a really good church, a, a godly pastor, well, praise the Lord. That is a, a, a huge blessing, but not everybody has access to that. But we do have access to the throne. We still have access to the word of God. And there is no excuse for any of us not to have that kind of a vital connection to the Lord every day. That's where our hope is going to lie in the days ahead. In the history of the church, there have been times when she was far from the shining, burning lamp that she ought to be. Times when the fire of her devotion was so suffocated by a gospel of lies that it was little more than a smoking ember fighting for life in the midst of an icy spirit of ritualism, worldliness, and compromise. What a contrast then were the powerful revivals of the first and second great awakenings the Welsh Revival, and the Hebrides Awakening. The Holy Spirit of God would invade our world, bringing gut-wrenching repentance to men and women, sweeping drunkards and prostitutes, liars and thieves, hypocrites and backsliders out of the darkness and into the brilliant light of truth. Glenn and Jesse Meldrum were saved during a powerful move of God the Jesus movement of the 60s and 70s. Since then, Glenn pastored several churches and has preached around the country as an evangelist. His wife, Jessie, has counseled and discipled many women. Both of them have seen firsthand the power of God's Spirit in those who have truly taken up their cross to follow Jesus. But they have also watched in deep pain as this gospel of lies has once again slowly seeped into the church. They're here with me in the studio because I want them to share their perspective on how this change took place. 
So you guys were both saved in the Jesus movement that took place in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. And I would guess that a lot of the people who are listening to our program at least are familiar with the name Jesus movement, but probably not familiar with the details. And so I was hoping that you could start off by explaining um, what it was like to be in that revival personally. What was it that made it so powerful a movement of God in our century? Well, it was a real revival. Um, I remember it sweeping through my high school and a lot of people getting saved, a lot of drug dealers and drug users got saved. Mm -hmm. And the first time I went to this Jesus Freak Church, I had just gotten saved the day before in a park where I was uh, partying. I went there and I was raised Catholic and I never felt anything like it. I couldn't have told you what it was. I couldn't have explained it, but he was there, so real, so powerful. It was a time where the presence of God was just very real, very tangible, very powerful. And in that church, I don't remember a service for many years where there wasn't somebody saved. I mean, it was just normal Christianity for people to be saved. Many times, a lot of people saved. Uh, people would just, they would feel it driving by. They would be drawn to it. And many times they would just turn around and come in when they see all the cars that was there. Um, it was open from early morning till sometimes we had to kick the people out at one or two in the morning. And then it'd be open again at seven o'clock with young people just hanging out. And then even one time uh, down the road from the church was a uh, middle school. And in one week, over 100 kids got saved. And what happened was the Spirit of God began moving in that school. And kids on their own or in twos would walk, leave school, walk down, and come to get saved. And so it was just a, there was a powerful move that was there. Being uh, from a godless home, I had never heard the gospel before. And at 16, there was such an emptiness in me. But in my high school, there were the Jesus freaks, and most of them went to this church. And when I saw them and would watch them, I, I just hungered for whatever it was they had. That emptiness, they found something to fill that. And they were so filled with joy all the time, bubbling over in them. It was a lot of the people out of the hippie movement, drug dealer, drug users, these people were changed. I mean, it wasn't just, yeah. but they stopped the drugs. They stopped yeah. the drinking, you know, that was from darkness into light. So it got the attention of those like me that were looking for something. And we all knew, those of us who were watching the Jesus Freaks, we knew they went to this church. And I wanted to go so bad. And Lord knew, just opened the door for me to go. And I went to a Friday night youth service. And it was just, it was powerful. I never experienced anything like that. And so it was the first time I heard the gospel and it was, this is it. This is what I've been missing. I went forward, came to Christ and have served him since. Yeah, what you were just saying about that there was a real change in people is one of the things that it almost seems like is really lacking in the church culture today and pastor steve in that in his interviews has was looking at the the decline of moral integrity and character 
just across the board in American culture over the last 150 years, and especially since the 60s, um, what would you attribute the moral decline in the church to? Well, that's a huge subject, so it's not like you can say one thing yeah. for sure. I think we have a point of reference that we can look at with the seven churches in the book of Revelation in chapters two and three. And if you look at the five churches that the Lord rebuked, those are going to be dynamics that were in those churches that had caused the churches to sin and not live like they should. And I think you could see all those prevalent today. So I think the seven churches all have expressions in individuals and then in the personalities of churches as well. Mm. You know, with Ephesus, their problem was that they had forsaken their first love. So they were busy, they had all kinds of activity, they had ministry, but they had fallen into dead religion and away from the relationship. And, you know, then you have other ones that are there that they fell into sexual sins and mm. they let false prophets in or, you know, all the different dynamics. And then the last one in the list is Laodicea that just grew lukewarm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I would think that they're all tied back into the problem of Ephesus, of forsaking the, your first love. When we love Jesus, we're not going to be in sexual sins. We're not going to be lukewarm. We're not going to be just in dead religion. But there are so many dynamics that brought this about. Jesus said, uh, because wickedness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And so what is it about wickedness that would abound that would cause people to uh, forsake their first love. And I think that's where it comes down to be uh, things in Steve's book that brings out the sensuality, the busyness of life, the the lies that are everywhere from news to in schools and science and so on. All this, all these lies that have permeated our culture that ultimately, because wickedness has abound through that, uh, it has affected the church. Rather than the church affecting the culture, We've allowed the culture to affect the church. Yeah. And so there's been this compromise, this lukewarmness, the forsaking of our first love, because there is so much busyness, so much activity, and so much sensuality that uh, people have not keep their heart and mind fixed on Christ. When I see the decline of the church, I think people stopped understanding the necessity of prayer. Uh, Ian Bounds, he explains conversion as God taking a prayerless man and making him into a praying man. It's what should happen when we come into the kingdom, this transformation that now we become a people of prayer. Mm -hmm. It's one of the things that Jesus addressed that my house is, you know, not a house of prayer anymore. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's uh, the houses of prayer become like everything except prayer going on in there. So um, I think the the decline started when people thought prayer was optional. There's no way the church can be salt and light and hold back the darkness if it's not a praying church. If someone in the Bible Belt, say, who's totally an unbeliever, but someone in the Bible Belt looks at the church, they would probably think that it's thriving because they would see they would see churches on every corner, they see celebrity pastors, they see Christian bookstores and Christian radio station. And so it seems like there's all this activity. It seems like there's all this health. But 
it's a subculture. It's not true Christianity. It's just a, a, a subculture of people that have grown up around the church. And one of the things that comes along with that subculture are pastors and teachers who are preaching and teaching a totally false message. If you were to talk to like a young believer who's just brand new and you were going to warn them about false teachers, what would you tell them to be looking for? I would warn um, believers to be careful of pragmatism. Um, the, The whole idea of something is big, so it must be God. And that is a very deceptive thought that people are drawn to something just because it's big, because there's a lot of activity. Um, the question that really every believer should ask in any church is, first of all, is God here? I mean, is is God putting his stamp of approval on this? Is the, the word faithfully preached from the pulpit? Um, is the, the spirit of God there? We should be able to sense the Holy Spirit in a place where he is um, and not be deceived by all the activity. Um, is, look at the lives of the leadership. Are they, are they living set apart for God? Do they have a true life in God? I mean, there's just so much of the world that's in the church and, and people need discernment. Well, I guess I'd be first telling them to look for the word of God. You know, get themselves immersed in the Word of God. The only way we're going to know truth uh, or know what lies are, we have to know what the truth is. Yeah. So they need to know the Word and they need to understand it and not be defined by the cultural Christianity of today that sounds plausible, can use scriptures, but take them out of context. And then, as Jesse was referring to, a life of prayer. Because the ability to truly discern what is true and false is going to be because of the relationship we have with Christ. Apart from that, we are not going to know. We can even know, you know, have a list of things. This is false teaching, but if we don't have that right fellowship with Jesus, then we're not going to have the ability to really understand it or to stand against it. Hmm. I was uh, a while ago uh, sitting down with a pastor at a donut shop, having a coffee with him and talking and uh, he was running a little bit late. And so I was there, there was a couple of Mormons and I knew they were Mormons. And so it was only a little bit before they came over and you know, mm. were trying to talk with me. The problem is that even in, in this, Mormonism has changed their language yeah. where they talk so Christian, but all their words have different meanings. Well, that's what's happening in, a, in the compromised church. They say the same words, mm. but they have different meanings with it. So if we don't know the word of God, then we're not going to be able to uh, understand the truth. So we have to go beyond what the words that people are saying and understand what are they really meaning by that? So when one preacher says grace, what does he mean by that? And if we don't understand the word, then we're not going to comprehend that. One of the things that, you know, this this book, Walking in Truth in a World of Lies, obviously a a huge bulk of of the book is explaining the deceptions that are in the world, the deceptions that are in the church. And you've gone out to hundreds, thousands, I would guess, churches in your over 20 years of evangelistic ministry, right? 24, going 25 years. Yeah. Have you found that in every church there are some people who are hungry for truth? 
according to the pastor and the message and the spiritual life of the church is going to be the percentage of people that are really saved. Every church is going to have the problem of some hypocrites and people that aren't walking right. And that, so it's going to be in, in the absolute best churches that are out there, mm. but it's, the percentage is going to be much smaller. And when the gospel's not preached there, then the percentage of those who are real followers of Jesus is going to get really small or non-existent. Mm. We have seen over the years, the aspect of people that have had a hunger and just like with the seven churches I referred to, you could go to that individual church and you could almost pick out some of the people there, but there's going to be the church of Philadelphia and, and Sardis. If I remember Sardis is the other one that was praised and uh, you know, they're going to be there as well. So you're going to have these people that have a desire for God, a passion for them and some that just are going along for the ride. Yes. I think that there, especially the churches we minister in, there's uh, there are people who are, hungry for God and they're, um, they're, they're doing scripturally what they need to do to, to seek him and find him wholeheartedly. But one of the things that very sad things we've seen is, um, churches where, you know, maybe there's a couple there that kind of latched on to us and kept in touch over the years. And, and the pastor would like not have us back after, one or two times, but they continue, this couple would continue to, um, correspond with us. And, and we, we could see because of the number of years we've done this, we could see over time how they were dying. Like the pastor, and I, I don't want to be hard on pastors, but as they, as the church declines, because the pastor is, is lowering the standard is, is just, watering it down you you can't stay in an environment like that and not be affected by it many people we know many people over the years that said well you know i know this church it's not really they're not preaching a true gospel but we're going to hang in there and you know hopefully we can be an influence and but they don't understand year after year under this you are going to die and so people have to be very careful do you do you think that another revival is coming to America? One side, I don't see hope for a national awakening, but I do believe he's still a God of revival that as long as there's still grace, as long as mercy is still working, then um, he, he perhaps he will pour out on on communities and towns and you know little pockets where people are are crying out are seeking for a move of god and i i can't stop praying for revival i it was what i was saved in and when you especially come into the kingdom that way it's like you're always looking for it again you're always crying out to the lord because it's the only way a, a, many, many multitudes will be able to come in. Those who are in the world that have no understanding of the gospel, it's it takes something like God stepping down, God doing a, a work in the land. I want to believe that there is. Um, I'm very afraid something is getting into America that is deeper and more sinister than people understand. 
uh, I wrote an article and actually preached on it called Unredeemable. And the whole premise of the article is showing that cultures can come to a place that they're unredeemable. So you have that in the days of Noah, became unredeemable. All that was left was judgment. You have that with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and the 10 cities of the plain. They were unredeemable. You have the Amalekites in the days of Saul with it. You even have Israel itself. The northern kingdom of Israel was totally destroyed. And the southern kingdom was taken taken into captivity 150 years later, though they were able to come back. Mm. Uh, you have then, even in the days of Jesus or after Jesus in 70 AD, when the Roman general Titus came in, who eventually became emperor of Rome, but came in and destroyed uh, Jerusalem, uh, killing over a million Jews in the midst of it all. And so Jesus had warned, he says, you know, he says, you did not know the day of of God's coming to you when he prophesied judgment upon them. So culture can become so evil that even revival will not correct it. And all that's left then is judgment. Where a culture comes, where it crosses that line, I can't say. But there are things that are going on in our culture that are so deep-rooted, that are so deep-rooted within the church that I think becomes major hindrance of a move of God because now if people are going to repent, it's not just having to change a little bit of their life. It's like this total revolution of changing everything that they have and do and all the culture of their own life and that. And so it's getting harder and harder for it. Uh, in the decline of the church, that's where you have hope for revival. But I don't know. Uh, Tozer ended up saying, and this would have been 70 years ago, 65 years ago, he says, if we have a type of, if we have a revival of the type of Christianity we have today, it will take us a hundred years to recover from it. And that's the problem. We don't need a revival of modern Christianity. Uh, if we have revival, we need a revival of biblical Christianity, of New Testament Christianity, where it is a revolution, a spiritual revolution uh, that grabs hold of people and transforms their life. And then they live it out till the day they die. Any serious student of scripture will quickly come to the conclusion that modern Christianity falls horribly short of the Bible's demands for the Christian life. And all of the staff of Pure Life Ministries can attest to this reality from our own testimonies. We all went through the residential program, except Pastor Steve, of course. Every one of us grew up in church and professed to be Christians while living in sin. We all clung to this gospel of lies, and it allowed us to fornicate, practice homosexuality, even commit adultery while believing we were right with God. This is why we sound the warning call to others to examine themselves, because we don't want others to suffer the extreme loss and pain that we experienced by buying into deception for years. Our prayer is that if anyone listening is living on the path of wickedness, that you might change your course before you too find your life in ruin. Today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart, but choose to embrace the truth. That's all for this week's episode. Thanks for joining us for our series, World of Lies. This is Purity for Life. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. 
For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.